morning, church. How are you? Uh, we are glad you're here. Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm the pastor. And uh, thanks for coming and being a part of this. Um, we, uh, there's a few things I want to go over. First, we're in a new series. We're beginning today called Ology. And what we're saying is this is what Christians believe. And, and there are a lot of ologies that exist, right? Ology just literally means the study of a subject. And so um, there's ologies in all over life, right? We, uh, there's uh, um, a biology. Remember having to take that class, right? Right? The study of life. And there's, uh, if you get into um, the medical field, there's all kinds of all. Cardiology is the study of the heart. And then there's, um, uh, this is a, a good one, one of my favorites, epistemology. You know what that is? The study of knowledge. It's knowing how to know, right? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure this was a study developed by like six-year-olds because it's like, how do you know? Well, we just know. Yeah, but how? Well, because when you look at the evidence, but why? Okay, stop asking questions, right? Like, those are epistemology people. <laughs> uh, so we're looking at the ologies of our faith and uh, in theology, our doctrine. And we're going to spend the next eight weeks looking at various different ologies in our faith. Um, but before we do, I want, to, I want to bring this up too. In a couple of weeks, so, so you have this, two things. First, on your uh, chair or the chair next to you is this uh, little card here. Um, on the back is all of our topics and the weeks we're doing. So if there's certain one that you're like, oh, I want to make sure I don't miss that week um, and, or I, I want to invite a friend, like this is a great opportunity to invite someone, especially if they have questions about Christianity. Maybe they've asked you questions about even maybe some of these areas and you just, ah, you know, well, I, I don't know if I'm fully equipped to, great, invite them. And it's a great opportunity to, to learn something new, but also to be like, hey, come and just hear what Christians, will, what we say we believe about various different things. So um, that's for you. Take it home. If you need extra ones, take them home, invite people, great. And then the second, in, on the, like the other chair next to you um, is, uh, or maybe, you know, on your, maybe you're sitting on this right now, um, is... Uh, is uh, an opportunity to serve for our pumpkin patch. This comes up in just a, a few weeks, I think, three-ish weeks or so. And, and this whole place becomes a huge pumpkin patch. We have over 1,000 people come every, from our community every year. I think we're already at over 500 signups for people. And so we need people who are like, all right, Lord, I'm ready to serve. You call us to serve. Put me in the game. Put me where you want me. All right, we would love for you to help us uh, serve on that day. Um, for anywhere from running a booth to making food to, um, to set up, whatever you can do. So if you're available, you just fill this out, drop it off on, uh, in a drop box on your way out. That would be awesome. So uh, today we're talking um, specifically about um, a, a really foundational ology in our faith. And this is Bibliology. And that is the study of, if you could guess it, the Bible. So we're going to look at how do we know what the Bible is, what it says, and, and, and why, why can we trust it? So when we, think of, um, uh, when, we, when we think of books, when you think of books, when someone brings up books or they love to read or a particular book that they're reading that they love and that they want you to read because they want you to be just as excited about their thing as they are, and, and whatever it is, someone brings up reading or books, um, what comes to your mind? When someone brings up books, what comes to your mind? And, and generally speaking, there's probably, 
there's probably uh, two extremes, and, and most of us fall into one of the extremes. Some of us probably maybe in the middle. And one extreme is, is I love books. Like I, I just, I will just devour books. I order books. I love books. I read books, fiction, nonfiction. Maybe you got a certain thing you do and you're like, I just love to read. I can't wait to get home later today and read. Um, yesterday, it's, it's fall now, right? So weather turn, hooray. That was, yesterday was something, right? How many of you had soccer? Like you did soccer stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bend is terrible at planning the first game of soccer in the worst weather, right? It's like, this is a hurricane. Um, anyways, it, when it, when it rains, you're like, this is perfect. I can just read my book, right? I, got, I can't go outside. I don't got to worry. I just want to read my love. I love to read. Maybe it's because it challenges your thinking. Maybe, it, maybe it's a practical book. And maybe it helps you in some area of life. Or maybe you, you know, be more efficient as in, in, in a skill you have or maybe at work. Or maybe it's a fantasy and a, a fiction book that you're like, I just love to like escape into a world that is just full of like imagination and possibilities and it's just and oh it's just it's so good even as I'm talking you're like oh man I wish I was reading my book right now at home like you're just you love books I think I fall into this category though um not I'm not fully I haven't fully jumped in so like I I love books in fact I it's it's borderline I don't want to say it's a problem, but it's borderline a problem because I'll usually order like four or five books and I haven't even finished the last five I order. I'm like, ooh, that sounds great. It's on my list of things to read. So like I have, you can ask my wife. There's, she, she'll be like, more books are here. I'm like, yeah, more books. I got to read them though. Um, and, uh, but what, what I, like some of you, and some of you, you might decide I can't listen to you anymore after I tell you this. Uh, I'm not really big into fiction. I, was, I, I heard a few groans, so clearly those people are. Um, I, so for me, like I love, I love theology. I love, I love, I love stuff that's like, yeah, I, I can learn, or it challenges me, or I can put it to use. And some of you are like, I will never read one of those. I want Star Wars, right? And like. I, I want a world that I can just jump into or like some, or like you like, like you're in, you're in a series. You're like, I just, I just love this or some historical novel or something. And you're all in great, wonderful. Or the other extreme, I don't read. It's a rule. It's just a, it's just a code I have. I just, I live by the standard of, I just don't want to read a book. I don't want to read a book. I did it for school. I've read enough in my life. I, I'm over it. It's, it, you may say things like, um, I'd rather live my life than read about someone else's. Like, that's a good one, actually. I've, I've used that. Right? And so like, uh, like for me, for me, I, if, especially if it's fiction, I'll be like, hey, that sounds cool. And then my question is usually, hey, do they happen to make a movie about it I could watch? I'll watch the movie, right? But like, I'll watch Lord of the Rings, but like, read them all? I mean, I know it's good. And people tell me like, you're missing so much. The books are so much better. I'm like, yeah, but the movie's so much easier. (laughs) (laughs) So for you, some of you are like, I just, I don't want to read. But I bet, I bet we could get you to read something. I bet we could. If it's something you love, oh, I'll read this, Right? If it's, a, it's a, an area of focus that you have or something that you're like, I just, this is my thing. And some of you are like, I don't, I don't read at all, but, but you love to fish. And I said, hey, you know what? I got a new fishing magazine. Ooh, I'll read that. 
It's not that you don't like to read, it's that you don't like to read all that other stuff. <laughs> I wanna read my stuff, right? And, and so like, we can get you to read something, right? If, if, someone, if someone, you know, like, for instance, uh, if you're married, uh, this book would be great for you to read. Uh, 10 Easy Steps to Making Your Wife Happy. No one's written it yet, no one knows. We don't know how to do it, but if they write it, you will read that book. You'll get it, I promise. From, from the beginning of time till now, people have been writing books. There's been, I mean, countless. We can't, even, we can't even come up with a number of how many books have been written, but all of them share certain characteristics. All of them are similar in certain ways. Here's the first way, ready? They all have an author or authors, multiple authors. Every book that has ever been written was written by someone or a group of someones. They all have an author and, and they all have in common this, that the author is writing down ideas or things they want you to think about. Now, what they want you to think about is just as varied as you know, many options as possible, but, but they want you to be thinking about what they want you to be thinking. They want, to, they want you to, to direct your thinking about whatever this topic is, even if it's just for a certain amount of time, just, just while you're reading, you're thinking about their thoughts. Every book does that. Whether they be nonfiction and they're like actual, his, maybe it's history or maybe, uh, maybe it's like uh, how to work better or some skill, but, or, it's, or some fantasy land where they create this whole thing and they just want you to escape into that. They're, their job is to put their thoughts onto paper into your thoughts. That's why we read. That's, that's a book. Now, when we talk about the Bible, we have to ask this question. What makes the Bible so different compared to other books? Because I would imagine if you were a follower of Jesus, you would say like, yeah, I, I think that this, is, this isn't just another book. It's not just a book, but there's, this is different. Somehow, I don't even know if I could explain how or why, but it just, it just seems to be special and different. And it is, but, but how and why? And that is what we look at this morning when we talk about bibliology, the study of the Bible. And, and we're gonna answer this question. What makes it so different and, and how can we trust it? How can we know that we can trust this book compared to other books? So the first thing we're gonna look at is, is um, how the Bible describes itself because um, most books will tell you a little bit about it. This is a history of, okay, this is telling me events that actually happened or this is a, 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 a fiction, a, a, a fantasy novel or a sci-fi. Okay, this is just taking me to some world and my mind is already knowing I'm, this isn't real, but I wish it was, right? I, I wish I had a real lightsaber. That would be so awesome, right? So like, you, it's taking you to a world and you know going into it what it says about itself. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible describes itself as much more than just another book. It describes itself not as like, hey, it's just, in this book you'll see some, you know, some wisdom and some, you know, really smart things and some, you know, Jesus got some really good one-liners in there that, you know, really good to read. The Bible describes itself as much more than just another book. First, it's not a book. Ready? 
It's a library. The Bible is a, a library of books. We could call it a book of books. It's actually 66 various books in it. Right? We call them books of the Bible, and they're broken into two different testaments, old and new. And they're written by over 40 different authors. It's not like one guy sat down and was like, all right, Genesis, because that's the beginning. That's where we start. And he's like going through, and he's like, all right, man, hand cramp. There's a lot. I'm putting a lot in this. But I'm at Revelation. I'm at the end now. It's not one guy writing this. It's 40 different people, over 40, and, and it's over 1,500 years. So it's not like a bunch of people get in a room and like, all right, let's start a religion, right? Okay, John, what do you want to be in it? Go. Yeah, that's good. All right, James, you tell me what you think this religion should be. That's not how it is. That's not how it was, it was created. That, that's how, that's how um, society would want you to think, like people just got in a room and decided what went into this thing and kind of made it all up so that you would believe. That's not how this formed at all. It took 1,500 years from the beginning, from when the first book was written all the way till, till the last book was written. It's not just a book, it's a library. And it describes itself as this. It describes itself as a sword. A sword that pierces, pierces the heart. It, it describes itself not as just like thoughts and ideas, but rather it's, a, it's an active thing that actually like can, can pierce us and convict us. It's a mirror that reveals. It's a, it's a, let me show you yourself in this. It's described as a seed that grows. It's described as milk that nourishes by Peter. As, as this, is, this is what you need to sustain yourself and to grow. It's described as a lamp that shines, that lights up your path, lets you see. And then in Jeremiah, this verse describes it in two different ways. It's described as a fire that consumes, that purifies, and as a hammer that shatters. This isn't just like a book that you read ideas or thoughts about. It's much more than that. The Bible considers itself much more than just ink on a page. It says it actually has the power to change people. It has the power to change lives. And before you get in, before you get on my case and are like, there's a lot of books that have changed my life. Like I read the Harry Potter series. And I'm a different person. It has, it has, it has moved me. I get, okay, I, all right, sure, right? I, I read Chronicles of Narnia and it changed me. And, or I read this thing and like, I, you know, I get it, I, sure. But, but that's not what the Bible claims. It's like, oh, it's gonna just enrich your life or change or like open your imagination. No, no, no. The Bible claims to change your soul. That it can actually change the core of who you are, like your inmost person, like your unseen person, like you. When we think of you, like we usually think in terms of like, well, this is what I look like, and this is my name, this is my hairstyle, and I, you know, I like to change it, because, you know, why not? And, and, and this is what people call me, this is where I work, this is my family. But no, 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 none of that's you, that's stuff about you, but you, like the real you. There are many things that can change you. But this Bible says, oh, no, no. I, I'm, it's not just a book, but it has the ability to change you. The real, like the real you. So when we study bibliology, study of the Bible, what do we learn? 
Okay, so we're gonna go through a number of things. If you're taking notes, you're gonna love this. You're gonna have a lot to write. If you don't take, I don't, I'm not a note taker. Like for me, I go into a sermon, I'm like, all right, I wanna pull out one or two things that I can like really take in. And that's you, great. You're gonna pull out a few things. Some of you are like, man, like you're just transcribing every single word. And it's, it, you should be, all of you should be. It's really, really good stuff you're getting. So here's the first thing, if you wanna write stuff down. I can trust the Bible because it was inspired, that's an important word, by God. This is what we call the inspiration, the doctrine of inspiration, that God is, this originated not with people like writing this down, but rather God saying, I'm going to write this and I'm gonna write through people. The Bible has a divine origin that men moved by the Holy Spirit wrote down what God wanted them to write. Here's what we see in 2 Peter. It says this, Above all, you must understand, above everything, listen, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by a prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter tells us that this, this book doesn't have human origin, but that, 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 that men, that prophets of the old moved by the Holy Spirit through them, wrote down what God wanted them to write. And we can debate on how that happens. And, and in this study, you can imagine we do. And, and is it like, is that God inspires their, their consciousness and then they just write down what they feel? Or is God like, like the extreme, is God like, like Holy Spirit possesses them and like they just get in like, I don't even know what I'm writing, but I'm just, whatever he wants to write. Oh, keep going. He's not done. Like, or is it, somewhere in between where God uses their own experiences, their own intellect, their own language, their own understanding and, say, and moves them to say, this is what I want you to write about. Write this stuff down. And, and even, even to the point of, I want you to use this word, not that word. And then to get very specific. We see that, that God is the author of scripture, of the Bible, um, not, not people. Now, now that's not enough though, because this isn't the only book that claims that, Right? If that, were, if that were it, like there's a lot of other religious books that claim that, oh, this, God wrote this. Or, you know, a prophet from God wrote down what he or she heard God say or wanted them to know. Okay, so, so that's not unique in its claim. But it, isn't, it is unique in that there's, there's over 40 people that that happened with. Over generations. In different languages. That's unique. That's very different. So the Bible is inspired by God, written through people. Apostle Paul wrote this. This is a, a well-known scripture um, about scripture. It says this in 2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The words written in the Bible find their source, not in someone just writing down like, I think it should look like this. I think, you know what, I, you know what, guys, you should live like, I, I'm gonna tell you, you should live this way. No, 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 rather, God is somehow using through the Holy Spirit, inspiring them to write down what he wants them to write. When we say that this is God's word, we'll say that like this is the word of God, this is God's word, it really literally is. These are Words from God. Not blessed by God, from Him. These are different. This is different than, you know, just someone writing a novel. 
This is God himself saying, I'm going to write down what I want people to know. Here's the, the next thing. I can trust the Bible because it is, it's clearly written for us to understand. This is often referred to as the, the doctrine of clarity, that, that it isn't like some hidden knowledge that you have to discover or find or someone has to teach you. No, no, no. What the Bible writes, the message is clear and simple. Though there are passages, some are easier to understand than others, and some are difficult. We went through Daniel, and Daniel's not the easiest book to understand. But the message of the, of the book of the Bible is actually quite clear. And it's, it's really not hard to understand. It's simple, and it's so simple that children can understand it. That, that we can, here you go, you can read this, and you can know what it says. We're at our point with our kids, like our kids are getting older now to where it's like, you know, you start with like picture Bible and then like you add a few words and then you add a little bit of, you know, stories. But all of that is not really the Bible, right? It's just like picture Bible. Now they're at the, the point where we're like picking out, okay, here's your Bible. You, you, get a, you, you can figure this out, man. You can read this. You, it's simple enough for you to understand. Here's the message of the Bible. Ready? Here it is. I'm gonna tell you everything in here uh, but you still have to read it, by the way. It's not like, well, now I know. Now he told me. God created everything and he created us. And he created us to know him, right? But there's a problem. You and I, starting back for the first people, we sinned and we broke our ability to have a relationship with God. And throughout the Old Testament, God is saying, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to lead my people and one day I'm gonna send this Messiah to fix it all. And we get to the New Testament and Jesus shows up in the Gospels and turns out Jesus is this Messiah. And he comes and lives an incredible life and then he dies on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, our punishment. And then he rose again to conquer death and we see that only through Christ can we have a restored relationship with God. That, that what was broken by sin can now be repaired and it's only through Jesus. And we choose to place our faith and to follow Jesus. Now that is, a, that is a beautiful and gracious synopsis of the Bible. We call it the good news. This is good news. And you know what else it is? It's amazingly simple to understand. None of that was complicated. We can share that with our kids and they're like, oh yeah, I get that. They'll ask questions and we'll, okay, well, it, this is what it means or this is what it looks like. Oh, yeah, that makes sense, I guess. And then they'll say things like, man, why don't more people believe this? It makes so much sense. I know. I don't, I, there are a lot of people who choose not to, but you're right. It's not like it's complicated. It's not like it's impossible. To, you need some special, you know, uh, like, like throughout, throughout history, um, w before people could read, before you had your own personal copy, you relied on someone else to tell you what it said, which gets us in a world of trouble. You don't, you don't need any of that. The Bible is simple. It says this in Psalm 19, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In Psalm 119, it says, the unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. It is simple to understand, but not everyone accepts it. In fact, most don't. And the Bible actually talks about that too. It says it specifically in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul's talking about, listen, this is, this is gonna make sense to some, but not to others. Here's what he says. 
The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are, not dis- they are discerned only through the Spirit. When you and, you and I decide to follow, put our faith in Christ to follow Jesus, something happens where, where we get like what's, what's often referred to as the illumination, like the doctrine of illumination of the scriptures, where, where we almost like, it's almost like flipping on a switch and now it's what I didn't understand before, it just makes sense. Like I get it, I see it. This, this is, um, uh, this is, it's, it's less evident or it's less stark in like, if you grew up in church, which maybe I'm guessing a lot of us have, where you grew up, like you've never, you don't remember ever not going to church, right? Like you were in mama's womb, still hands up, praising the Lord and coming out, like singing, like that was you, you probably knew that, right? Going, so you, you never had a time where you're like, I didn't do this, I've always been in church and Sunday school or kids or kids ministry or, you know, all, you've always been around the Bible and you've always been heard in the, the stories and stuff. And so for you, like it, it was maybe later when you decided I'm gonna take this seriously, I'm gonna read this for myself. I'm not gonna rely on mom and dad to tell me what it says. I wanna know. Great, and you probably had some moments where it's like, wow, I guess I didn't realize this before. And it's, it's more gradual. But for a lot of us, like myself, I didn't grow up in church, so I wasn't a Christian. I, I didn't know anything about it. So when I started coming, it was like, I got my first Bible and it was, it was like, it was so unbelievably beautiful. And, and I, mine wasn't even a good, like, it was fine, but I, it was hard for me to understand. I had the King James Version, so it was like, you know, thou shalleth never tell a lieth. And I'm like, so wait, should I or shouldn't I? Is that like a triple negative? What, what just happened? And so like, I had a hard time understanding until I got like a, you know, a, a more readable translation. And it was like, oh my gosh. There's so much in here. And like, I'm, I'm reading it so much. And I was, I was getting frustrated at other people around me. I'm like, why aren't you reading this? You've been a Christian for your whole life. Like for years, for decades, you've had this and you don't read it. I'm like, man, you're way behind. Like, come on, I'll read it to you. Sit down. We're not leaving here until you, you got to hear some of this. There's something that happened. I was having lunch with a guy this last week and, and um, he's kind of new to faith. I think four years ago, decided to follow Jesus and, uh, and he's, you know, young. I say young guy, he's probably 40s. That's still young, right? That's fine. Uh, he's got young kids and, uh, and, um, and, uh, and he's, like, he's like, Brandon, I, like, I, I became a Christian and now everything just seems to make more sense. Like, I just understand things. Like, it's the weirdest thing. It's even hard to explain to my family. We're like, hey, what, what's going on? He's like, I, like I, 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 he goes, I know it's the Holy Spirit is in me now, but it's like, it's just, I just, I understand things now. And he's like, it almost shocked. I, I remember I, doing the same thing, being like, I get it, man. I get it. Because he's like, it's crazy. Like, I, it's crazy how this is happening. I'm like, I know, I know. And it's this, it's the Holy Spirit illuminating things for us to to clearly understand what this says. Here's the next thing. I can trust the Bible because it doesn't contain errors in what it says. This is important. And and this is often referred to as the doctrine of inerrancy. Like it is without error. Um, And and this is is perhaps of all the issues about the Bible, all the things you can study, this is maybe the most important one. Because this is the one that determines the rest of your understanding about faith. 
This is the one that, that helps you determine the rest of your understanding of all the other doctrines that we're gonna go over. Like everything else we know about faith, it all rests on, on whether or not we believe that the Bible contains errors or doesn't. It's, it's that important. Psalm 119, 160 says, all your words, God, all your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. John 17, Jesus is praying, and he's praying specifically to to his father, and he says this, sanctify them by the truth. And here it is. Here's what, what is the truth? Your word is truth. This doctrine that we call inerrancy of scripture, it says this, that the Bible is without error or fault or defect in all that it affirms. Now, now that's different than every, like, I want you to be careful, and I'm, I'm splitting hairs, but this is important. That doesn't mean that everything in here is a true statement. It means everything in here is exactly what God wanted it to say. Now, you're looking at me weird, as you should be, because you're like, what did you just say? Here, here's why. Here's why we split hairs and are careful, because there are a lot of things written in here that are deceptions, that are lies, that when we're told they're lies. So simply being in here doesn't make the statement true, right? From the very beginning in the garden, we see that there are lies that Adam and Eve believed. And it's written in here. And it's not written as a fact like, oh, you will become like gods and you should, oh no, you're not gonna die. And like all these, they, they believed all of that. And it's written in here and it's accurate and true to what God said. This is what happened. Now that though, what, I, what they just wrote down, that is not true. Does that make sense? You see the difference? So what we, what we, when we read this, we say, this is what God wants me to know. And, and there's no mistakes or errors or, or whoopsies. I, I didn't get it right. Like it, what it says is what God wants it to say. Now, there's a caveat here. That's true, not of your English Bible. It's true of the originals, right? So what they wrote down. Translations were one step away from like what it actually said. And, and um, this is a critique that a lot of people will give specifically in this, like in this area, they'll, uh, they'll bring up this. Um, you know, the reason I don't believe the Bible or, um, or that it just seems outdated or how can you even know what it really says or what they really wrote or what it really meant? Uh, and they'll say this. You ever played the telephone game? And you're like, okay, yes. Yes, I have played this telephone game. Okay, well, let me, let me tell you the rules of how it goes. Okay, I know how telephone game works, Okay. But they'll say, like, this is how it works. The, the, the first person comes up with something and says it to the next person. You know, you get 20 people in a line or whatever, and they share the next one, and the next one, it keeps changing because they misheard it. And then they, by the end, it's like something that's, like, completely different. It doesn't even make sense. And everyone laughs and giggles, and you're like, ah, and the lesson is you can't trust anyone, right? That's the lesson. <laughs> Don't trust anyone. And they'll say, listen, how many times, how many times in 2,000 years have people been doing this with the Bible? Like, how can you even trust that's what it says? And at its face, you're like, oh, that sounds insightful. Except for this fact, ready? The game of telephone changes when it, become, when it changes from, from words that you speak to a document you write. If you play the telephone game, but you say, all right, I want you to write down a whole bunch of stuff, whatever, write down a message. And then you're gonna give it to the next person who speaks the same language, right? That's important. 
And you're going to say, listen, I want you to write down exactly what this says, letter for letter. And you have as much time as you need, right? Take your time. Can they get it right? Oh, yeah, of course, easy. Oh, I got it right here in front of me, right? I write it down. Okay, your job, give it to the next person. All right, here you go. Here's a copy. It's not the original. You wrote down a copy, but this is an exact representation. This is an exact copy of the original. Okay, here you go. Copy this. Take as much time as you need. Get it right. All right, I can do that. And you do that over and over and over again. Will the last one match the first one? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's like easy. We can have all of us do that right now. We could just hand out a paper and say, all right, write this down. And we would all get it right. It changes when it's an actual document. So this like telephone game that, that, that like, you know, the reason why we can't trust the Bible, it's terrible. That's a terrible analogy. Instead, what we see is like, oh, actually, uh, the copies we have are, I mean, they're like, shockingly close shockingly close to what we to like the early manuscripts that we have so if you remember a, a number of years ago uh, in the 60s there was uh, the the discovery of the dead sea scrolls like the greatest discovery uh, at least for us in bibliology in history um I, I've, you can actually go there i've been like to the dead sea scrolls and the caves and like they have a museum right there. You can go see. You can go see the documents. And, and so they discovered all this, and they realized, you know, up to that point, I think our earliest documents we had were like 900-ish A.D. It was like far, far later than, uh, than like when the actual were written. So you're going, okay, 900 years, all right, how close is this? And then we, we discover these Dead Sea Scrolls, and some of them are just like 100, 200 years. Like, it's like we just, we just shortened our timeline by 700 years. There's a 700-year difference between these. And then a lot of critics and skeptics were like, we got them. We got them, those Christians. Wait till we show, wait till we show you just how wrong your Bible is. And so they pull out the documents. Like, all right, this is clearly this Isaiah scroll. Okay, here's what we have. Here's what we found. 700-year difference. Okay, all right, here we go. Ready? All right, verse one. Verse one is the same. Okay, bad, bad start. Hold on, we, we got more verses. Verse two is the same. Guys, uh, this isn't gonna go well for us, right? I mean, that's literally what happened. So they go through all of these scrolls and they realize they're not like similar. They're the same. I mean, they're the exact same. I think there's, I read somewhere, I think they found, uh, to date have found 108, different uh different documents i think don't quote me on that um and and 106 are identical two aren't and here's what they said the two that aren't have like a misspelled letter that's it it's not like oh it's a total different document it's like you know you spelled you know faith with two eyes like oh how could you do that well it's and and people will say this see the bible's full of errors it's full of them everywhere everywhere they can't spell anything right when we talk about the inerrancy of Scripture, and, and honestly, it's shocking, the, the overwhelming amount of evidence that we have. Um, this, this is such an important aspect of, of our faith. Um, we see that throughout history, as soon as a person or a school or an organization or institution, as soon as they move away from inerrancy and say, well, the Bible might contain some errors. We just, you know, it's hard to know. We don't, you know, some of the things probably aren't exactly accurate or historical or, you know, some of the things probably didn't happen, but it's still a good story. As soon as someone does that, 
it goes on to abandon or alter all of the other doctrines. It's the, it's the, it's the snowball effect. It's the first thing. It's the, it's the first domino that ends up being like a domino, like this, this domino effect that just ends with a ruined faith. We see this in, um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, all of the Ivy League schools, like the really like important, intelligent, like smart schools, so like Harvard and Yale and, and Princeton, all those that are like, wow, like we know their names. Do you know all of them? Every single one of them. Every single Ivy League school started as a Christian university. Every single one. You can go back to their actual, their, their original documents and look at their mission statements. And all of them talk about um, uh, training up ministers to go share the gospel. Harvard, like it's still in their stuff. They kind of like, yeah, we don't, we don't really talk about it anymore. But that's still their stuff. Now, you look at Harvard today, it's a little different, right? Yale, Princeton, eh, they're not exactly what I would say, producing pastors and ministers out to share the gospel. But that's how they started. And guess what? Listen. Guess what the doctrine is that they, that they got rid of first? You already know it. It's this. They, they, they got really loose on inerrancy. They kind of, I don't know. We don't really know if that's true. And, and what happens is you start, you get, your, you get your, your Sharpie and you start blacking out. Jesus didn't really say that. In fact, ah, this probably whole chapter didn't happen. You know what? Mark seems kind of weird. Let's just, I think Mark didn't happen. Let's get rid of Mark. And if we get rid of that, we probably got to get rid of the other ones. You know, Paul, Paul didn't write this. And all of a sudden, you have no, you're left with nothing. You're left with no faith at all. I know, um, uh, I know, uh, I know uh, Christians who, are, uh, who um, have gone this route. I know pastors that have. And I know churches that have gone this route of, of, uh, of going kind of soft on this doctrine of inerrancy. And, you, and what, what happens every time is that other doctrines start suffering. They start getting rid of and start kind of playing loose with. I remember talking to one guy uh, about, specifically, uh, about inerrancy. And he's like, so really, Brandon, you really believe in inerrancy? And I'm like, you don't? Like, how do you know anything? How do you know anything that Jesus said? As soon as you say, some of it might not be true, then how do you know any of it's true? You just threw it all out. How is that possible? I, I can, before we move on, I can tell you this, okay? I'm gonna make a commitment to you that at, if you attend New Hope, this is true as long as you attend here. And as long as I'm the pastor at New Hope, which, you know, God willing is, you know, at least one more week. <laughs> I promise, listen, I promise, all seriousness, I promise New Hope will never abandon this doctrine of inerrancy, okay? Some of you, you so I, I actually, I, I, um, this is just inside in my life a little bit. I get emails from people and with just concerns that, you know, our church is gonna go sideways or we're gonna, gonna go away the culture. And like, listen, listen, if I can just put your heart at ease, I don't care what culture does. I mean, we, we're in culture, we live in culture, but like for me, what does this say? What does this say? And, and, and whatever this says, let's do that. Now, you and I can disagree about what it says or we have different understandings, and that's fair. Let's have those discussions. But, but I, can, I can promise you as a church, like, hey, I just want to make sure we're true to the Bible. I promise you, I promise you, we will be. And, and the day that I get up here and say, hey, you know what, guys, I'm kind of, I'm rethinking inerrancy, I, I, I commit to submitting my resignation like right after that statement, okay? No, you don't get to submit it for me. I will do it. But, 
But this is that big of a deal. The inerrancy of Scripture is that big of a deal. I mean, there may be other churches that want to do their thing. Hey, great, that's wonderful. The Lord is calling us to have a high view of his word, and we will do just that. Now, here's the next thing, the last thing. Ready? I can trust the Bible because it contains everything I need to know God. It's not lacking anything. When you open your Bible, listen, you don't need some new special insight or book or revelation that like doesn't currently exist that, you know, some new, some new theologian or pastor or someone gets up and like, listen, I found it guys. You won't, you won't believe it. I found a hidden message no one's ever seen before. And it changes everything. This changes everything. Go, go buy my book on Amazon. Give me the proceeds. And you, you can know how this thing, I promise you, if you see that book, and there are books out there like that. If you see that book, do not buy it. I mean, you could buy it just to see it and read it. But like, I promise you, it's not some new thing that, that like God is finally, 2021, someone finally got it. <laughs> They figured it out. I can trust the Bible because it contains everything I need to know. Um, I, I also know this. Around Easter time every year, there's like a new discovery. There will be one this year. A new, we, you won't believe it. We found another new gospel. You know what? And, 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 and this changes everything. And it's, it's never a new gospel. It's always one that like we've known for thousands of years. Like, we know about that. It's not a real gospel. We know that. But they, you know, here's this new special. It's an hour long, full with, you know, commercials that we get paid for. So just, just watch them. And then, and then we'll tell you about this new thing, this new insight. You're right. The new Da Vinci Code. There's a new thing. Listen, there is nothing outside of this that, that will help you that you need to know to know God. Like, it's in here. We see this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. There's not some new revelation you're just waiting around for. I hope when I, you know, I just need to know this. Then No, 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 no. It's, it's all here. So how can we sum this up? If, if you're like me, you're, you're waiting for like, all right, I want one or two things. I want to remember those few things from that talk. Here it is, ready? We can sum up our study of bibliology, of the study of the Bible as this. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. When, when this speaks to an issue, an area, a topic in which it covers like everything that you and I, like we can think of social, like it covers so much stuff. When it speaks about a topic, it's as though you're sitting in front of God and he's saying, that's, that's what I want you to know about that. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. This, this, when we say the word of God, this is God speaking to us through authors from thousands of years ago. But man, if, if, you are, if you are a person who practices reading scripture, like there are sometimes you read it and you're like, it's like God put that verse for me right here, right now. I mean, I know it's been there for thousands of years, but it's like he knows what I'm thinking and he already wrote it down, like the answer. Like it is so crazy how, how God can speak through, through this, this book, this library of books. So, a good way to understand Scripture. How do I read it? All right, I'm going to give you some four, just some tips, some advice. 
Um, and then I'm going to end with a challenge, and then we're going to worship together. Um, the first is this. You're going to pick a passage. You read it. You're right. I, you, you, I want to challenge you. You should have a consistent, regular time of reading the Bible. Um, theologically, practically, even, even studies show us there is, there is nothing greater for your spiritual growth than your personal reading of the Bible. But this is simply the single greatest factor of spiritual growth for you is if you read this or not on your own. Like not, not on a Sunday, I saw it on the screen, so I'm good. No, no, that you are personally reading your Bible each day is the single greatest factor of whether you will grow spiritually or be stunted. So you should be reading, and when you do, I want you to think of these four questions. What does this passage say? This is a, I, I love doing this. It's just a summary sentence. I'm going to read a chapter. All right, this whole chapter was about this thing. I'm going to write one sentence. It's a simple sentence. I can remember this. I can write it in my margin. Here's what this is about. I did the work. I read it. Here it is. What, is this, what does this passage say? The second is a little harder. It takes a little more work. What does this passage mean? All right, Jesus is talking about a parable. Here's what the parable says. Okay, what does he mean? All right, now I gotta do maybe a little work. Maybe you get a study Bible. Maybe you have some cross references. Maybe you get into Bible study and you talk about, okay, here's what it says. Now let's talk about what it means. Great. What does this passage mean? The third is this. What timeless truths do I find in this passage? Because again, you're not gonna find some new discovery no one's ever read before. You're not gonna read a passage and say, never, never has anyone ever seen what I just read. There are thousands of pages written on every single page of this Bible from commentators and, and, uh, and theologians. Like Everything has been covered. You're not going to find some new things. So your job is to say, all right, what timeless truth do I find here that is already a part? Like, it, this is just well known. Not what I wanted to say, but what is, what is this teaching me? And then the fourth is this. How do I respond to what God has said? I just read this. I think I have a good understanding of what, it's, what he means. Here's what seems to be coming out throughout history. Like this seems to be a, a common theme in scripture and here it is on this, in this passage. All right, Lord, what do you want me to do? How am I supposed to respond? I promise you, if you do that, it will change your life. So here's my challenge and then we're gonna pray. I want you if you don't read your Bible, uh, and no judgment, there's no judgment. If you just, maybe life gets in the way, it just hasn't been a pattern for you. It's just like, you know, I'm not one of the, like, I love to read kind of people. Yeah, it's fine. My challenge to you is this, ready? You're gonna read your Bible five days this week. I'm giving you two days off. You're welcome. <laughs> five days. You pick the five days. You get five. Pick five days and say, I'm gonna read a chapter a day for five days. Do weekdays if you want. Give yourself Saturday, Sunday, you know, you got a break, whatever. Or you want to read more? Listen, I, no one will tell you you can't read more of the Bible, just so you know. But I want you to say, I'm going to read at least five days, a chapter a day. And I want you to start at something that's really easy. The book of James. James, guess how many chapters it is? It's five chapters. Five chapters, five days. Oh my goodness, would you look at that? So read a chapter of James a day for five days and just see what happens. Read it. Try to understand what it's saying. All right, Lord, what do you want me to do? And, and really just take it in. If you read your Bible already and like that would be, you know, like, hey, that's a great start, but I'm already, I've already got a plan. Great. My challenge to you this next week is double it. I already read 20 minutes a day. Awesome. I'm signing you up for 40. You're doing 40 this week. <gasps> 
can I really? Yeah, there's, you have enough time in your day. You have, yeah, I promise you, you do. Whatever your Bible intake is, uh, listen, this week, let's do more of it, right? At least five days, just a chapter a day. And let's see what happens. Let's see what God does. After that, pick a gospel and say, all right, I can do this. Go through John or go through Matthew, a chapter a day, and just get into this habit of saying, this really is God's word. I'm going to guess a lot of us in here believe this is, we believe this is God's word. We believe it speaks to us. But if I ask you, do you read it? Well, not as much as I should, I know. This week, let's fix that. Let's say, I'm in it. I'm, I'm, uh, all right, I'm in it. Would you do this? Would you stand with me? And then let's pray and we'll worship together. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, we thank you for all of the people over thousands of years who were faithful to live through experiences and write them down, who were inspired by you to write what you want to us. That we can read your word and it can change us. So Lord, this week, as we all focus on reading your word more, will you change us? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.